Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over a hundred casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. Eighteen plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The LSU Tigers. LSU wins the BCS. One team, one heartbeat. The New Orleans Hornets select Anthony Davis. And I'll tell you, Mardi Gras about to break out. Talk here. about my thing. To the 20. Geis. Touchdown. Who that? This is the Chris Gordy Show. All right, hour number two of the show underway. Chris Gordy here with you. And we had this guy on a couple months ago. In fact, back in January... Well before the draft, and it was amazing. We went back and listened to some of the the interview, and there were so many things he hit on that were right back in January that that held true to the draft just last week. Now, you guys know a lot of stuff changes in the months leading up to the draft, but Tony Pauline hit a lot of of stuff right on the head, and he joins us now from draftanalyst.com, also from the Believe Podcast Network. Tony, what's going on, man? Thanks for having me. Can I get a copy of that tape? I can uh, pass it on to an agent or when I'm trying to negotiate a new deal for myself. I can say, hey, listen to this. Absolutely. Look, I was just going through your your rankings and um, you know, just talking about some of the the LSU guys. I'm an LSU guy and man, you nailed the you know, Devin White, you had him as your fifth best player. He went fifth overall. Uh so that was interesting. What did you make of Greedy Williams, man? You had him I think as like your 17th overall player. Yeah. And this, it was crazy to see him fall into the second round. I think even after we got through the first round and he didn't go, I think most people were expecting, all right, well, he's going to go with one of the first few picks of the second round. And then there's this run of defensive backs, and it's every defensive back but him. Why do you think Greedy Williams fell so far? Well, if you look at my rankings, next to his grade, there's an M. And M stands for medical. And the word on Greedy Williams is one of the reasons uh, – that they didn't take the visits was there was a, a health issue there. there. There was an injury there, uh, which is why that why he fell. And when there's an M next to a name, you really don't know where the, that player could go. Uh, he could go earlier than most people expect, you know, as you, you saw with the Mississippi State, the defensive tackle, or he can go later. Now, you know, that's what I was hearing. And, and it makes sense because when you get a guy like Greedy Williams, who is six foot two, 185 pounds, runs under 4-4 at the Combine, was a good player at LSU, was a good cornerback, and regularly shut down some of the better receivers in the best conference in the nation. And he takes a tumble the way he did. It's more than just poor tackling. There are other uh, issues at play, and you know the word that I was receiving you know, in, in the weeks up to the draft was there may have been some injury issues. We'll have to wait and see what happens when they take the, the medical in Cleveland and, and what they let out there to see, you know, to get the full picture. But that's what I was hearing, and it makes sense because Greedy Williams was too talented a player to really slide the way he did. Yeah, and, and, and honestly, I mean, if he's healthy, then the Cleveland Browns just got a gem of a player that they could slide opposite Denzel Ward and really have a, a, a fearsome twosome at, at the cornerback for many years to come if, if he does turn out to be the type of player we think he will be. Uh, while we're on the LSU guys, let me just touch on uh, the, the two other guys. Only one other guy was drafted, Foster Morrow. You had him rated as a, as a fifth rounder. He went in the fourth. And then Ed Alexander was kind of a surprise that he declared for the draft. 
you had him projected as undrafted, and he went undrafted. Uh, the good news for LSU is, you know, they typically have a ton of guys get drafted. Having only three guys get drafted tells you one thing. They had a lot of guys come back. So that means this LSU team is going to be absolutely loaded next year. And I'm already looking at some of the mock drafts going into next year, and they've got Grant Delpit locked in as a top-10 pick already next year. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, I just released my 2020 mock draft, and I hate doing mock drafts. Never want, never mind uh, <laughs> doing a year in advance. And I think Delpit was like my sixth or seventh player selected. And, and I basically said about Delpit, I see a lot of Jamal Adams in his game, and we know how well Jamal Adams has turned out for the New York Jets. Yeah, no, absolutely. And we've even heard some uh, comparisons to Tyron Matthew in that they'll move him all over the field. I mean, he'll play any any pos- any spot in that defense, and it's going to be real interest- interesting to see how Dave Aranda uses him next year at uh, LSU. All right, let me get to a couple of the uh, the Saints guys. This is an interesting pick for the uh, year for the Saints because they had no first-round pick. They were picking with the back end of the second, but we all knew going into day two how impatient Sean Payton and Mickey Loomis get. They can't sit on their hands. They got to trade up to go get a guy. They did that in the middle of the second. They trade up to go get Eric McCoy. I saw you had him slated as uh, an early second rounder, so that must mean the Saints got good value on Eric McCoy. I love McCoy, and and it's not just you know late love for McCoy. I watched McCoy as a redshirt freshman at Texas A&M, and I said right then and there he has the potential to be a, a highly rated center. You look at their depth chart. You know they, they bring in Nick Easton from from Minnesota. I think McCoy is a guy who will be starting by the end of his rookie year. He's smart. He's tough as nails. He's relatively athletic. He's effective in pass protection on the line of scrimmage. He can get out to the second level and block in motion. Just has to improve his playing strength a little bit. Has to learn to finish blocks. But, uh, you know, there was so much to like about Eric McCoy's game the past three years. It's not that he was just a one-year player. He has been terrific since he stepped on the field as a redshirt freshman at Texas A&M. Their, their second pick, they, they uh, waited to the fourth round and actually moved up to get this guy. But I, this guy I'm most intrigued by is Chauncey Gardner-Johnson out of Florida. I've been watching film on this guy. I mean, another, you know, versatile comes to mind in, in terms of the war. A guy who can move all over the field. A- am I right in seeing that you had a late second round grade on him? And if that's true, man, that is tremendous value to get a guy like that in the fourth. At one point in time, I actually had an early second-round grade on him. Now, there are two parts to, to Chauncey Gardner-Johnson. On the field, he's a terrific defensive back. He's a guy who can play free safety. He's a guy that you can line over the slot receiver. He's a guy that you can occasionally play at cornerback. I mean, he doesn't have great size, but he's got great ball skills. He's feisty. He's instinctive. He's everything you want in a player. Why did he fall? Just off-the-field uh, character issues. If you uh, read my side or you listen to any of my podcasts, I had said leading up that, you know, these were issues that were being talked about in scouting circles. He had some character concerns, and if you saw him start to drop in the draft, which he eventually did, those red flags really raised some concern in war rooms around the league. So that's what it is. If he keeps his focus on the field and he he does what he's supposed to do, he's going to be a very good player. Uh, they ended up taking three other guys in the later rounds. Uh, Saquon Hampton they took in the sixth. I know you had him uh, slotted as a seventh rounder. And then Alizé Mack and Caden Ellis they took in the seventh. You had sixth-round grades on those guys. Any thoughts on Hampton, Mack, or Ellis? Mack is a guy, he has all the potential in the world, but, you know, he looks like a world beater, plays like an, uh, looks like a world beater, plays like an egg beater. And what do I mean by that is, you know, Scouts have been waiting for him to really bust out and have, you know, have a career season and really improve his game. He's never done it. 
had issues with the with his grades at Notre Dame uh, multiple times, including this past year where he was slated to play at the Senior Bowl, and uh, the invitation was pulled at the last minute. And the word was was he wasn't going to be able to graduate on time. You know, it's it's a matter of uh, Elise Mack, you know, focusing on football and transitioning his real good athletic skills into football production. Caden Ellis is a very interesting prospect. His father, Luther Ellis, <clears throat> played in the league for years. Uh, he is a guy who was a sack master, really got a lot of pressure uh, on the college level when he played at Idaho. Just had a sensational pro day. I mean, an incredible pro day where he ran a decent 40 time, but his shuttle times and his three-cone times were more reminiscent of a defensive back, of a 180-pound defensive back, than a 250-pound linebacker. I projected him more as a 3-4 outside linebacker, so I'm kind of surprised that the uh, Saints uh, took him with their 4-3 system, but I absolutely think that he's the kind of guy who can make a roster. You use him as a situational pass rusher, sometimes out of a three-point stance, oftentimes standing up over tackle, and he'll be a special teams demon for you. So I think uh, both of those guys were terrific seventh-round picks. Hampton, I mean, Hampton's a guy who, and I'm in the New York area, so I see Rutgers play a lot. Hampton is a guy who, very streaky. I mean, he's, he's someone who'll make a, a great play here, here or there, and then he disappears at length. So I'm just, I, I, I wanted to see, when I watch these guys, I watch them over the course of their college career. I go back to what I said about Eric McCoy, and I expect a level of development. I saw it in Eric McCoy. I didn't see it in Alizé Mack. Really didn't see it in, in Saquon Hampton the way I expected. Talk with Tony Pauline, draftanalyst.com, and of course is a podcast part of the Believe uh, Network. Uh, the, the one area the Saints always are successful in is bringing in undrafted guys. I mean, they hit on it's, they seem to hit on a guy every year who was undrafted. That last year, Taylor Stallworth was a big one that they signed undrafted. Ended up playing a big role for them down the stretch of last season. Uh, I was looking at the guys that that they signed un, to undrafted contracts and where you had them slated and. A lot of guys you had draftable grades on. Devino Zigbo, the running back out of Nebraska, you had a fifth-round grade on him. Uh, Carl Granderson had a sixth-rounder, uh, round grade. Chase Hansen as well. Uh, Ethan Greenridge out of Villanova. And then Lil Jordan Humphrey you had as a seventh-rounder out of uh, Texas and ended up getting him as an undrafted guy. Any, any thoughts on any of those guys that you think really stand out that could really make a name for themselves as undrafted guys? Paul Granderson entering the season was given a very high grade by scouts who thought he was a top 45 pick. He was terrible as a senior. Uh, it just really didn't live up to expectations. Uh, has some off-the-field character issues, but he has the fundamental ability to be a very good 4-3 defenseman, so he was definitely worth the roll of a dice. The roll of dice. Devine Zigbo was a guy who, at Nebraska, really didn't play in a pro system, went to the Shrine game, lit up the Shrine game. He's a terrific three-down back. Good ball carrier, good pass catcher in the backfield, does a terrific job blocking. A lot of people thought that uh, he should have been uh, invited to the combine. He wasn't. I could absolutely see him making an active roster as a third or fourth back. He has the skills to do it. What happens is, is you know, a lot of times with these scouts, it, it, it comes down to familiarity. And while the guy playing the Shrine game, you know, he wasn't at the uh, combine where they become very teams, especially the decision makers, become uh, very comfortable with these guys and get to know them. I think that was a, uh, a strike against them. But he absolutely has the – and he played, like I said, in a system that wasn't, uh, wasn't an NFL-type system. He has the fundamental uh, underlying ability to, uh, to make a roster. Little Jordan Humphrey, he's just – I don't know what you do with little Jordan Humphrey. 
I mean, he was a highlight reel film at Texas, but the fact is, is he ran four sevens at the combine. I don't know if you use him as a big possession receiver. If you try and, and ha- put slap uh, 10 to 15 pounds on him and you use him as a move tight end, I mean, he's sort of, you know, what we used to call a tweener. He's not big enough to play tight end. He's not fast enough to play wide receiver, which is why he fell out of the draft. He's a good pass catcher. I mean, you may be able to line him up in the slot. I think it's going to be an uphill, bill, uh, uphill battle for him. But I think he's the kind of guy you could stash him on the practice squad. And if, if you're convinced that, you know, you can play him at 240 pounds and use him as a move tight end, you try and develop him uh, in, in that direction over the course of the next 12 months. Yeah, I've mentioned this before. The Saints only have one wide receiver under contract going into next year, and that's Trey, uh, or, uh, Traquan Smith. Obviously, Michael Thomas they need to give a big deal to, but Cameron Meredith, Ted. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo, and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Again, I mean, there's some question marks there. I was surprised they didn't draft a wide receiver, but I think old Jordan Humphrey's walking into a situation where if he can impress during training camp, he could certainly, um, you know, earn a shot there. Uh, let's talk about a little some of the other things that transpired in the draft last week. I remember when we talked to you in January, um, when we talked quarterback, you were very high on Dwayne Haskins. In fact, you said he would be the first quarterback taken. And then, you know, in those weeks following, that's when the Arizona Cardinals started to the trend of, you know, they hired Cliff Kingsbury, and then it basically came out, yep, they're going to take Kyler Murray number one. Why were you not high on Murray then, and what are your thoughts on him going to Arizona now? Number one, I'm more of a traditionalist. So, you know, five, ten quarterbacks do nothing for me. You know, I'm, I'm someone, and I know that, uh, you know, New Orleans has had great success with a quarterback that's not very tall. But I think he's more the exception to the rule. And Drew Brees, you know, had a very large body of work when he came out of Purdue and went to the league and really was able to sit for a year or two uh, with the Chargers. Uh, I'm sorry, you know, had a year or two under his belt with the Chargers before he eventually signed with the Saints. So Drew Brees, in my opinion, is the exception to the rule. I I think with Kyler Murray, number one, doesn't have a big body of work. Number two, it's a a situation where, unlike Drew Brees, who had a lot of adversity in his career, even in his college career, it's been nothing but unicorns and rainbows for Kyler Murray at, at Oklahoma. He really hasn't faced any adversity, even when they lost that game to Alabama, people were talking about what a win it was and how well he played. You don't know how he's going to uh, act uh, it, once adversity hits him. I think the big thing for me is when you look at Dwayne Haskins, Dwayne Haskins is a plug-and-play type of quarterback where you can basically put Dwayne Haskins in any sort of system and he'll be able to flourish. I think with Kyler Murray, you really got to develop a system around Kyler Murray. Uh, you, you know, you, you got to protect him. You've got to make sure you move him around in large part so he can see the field. I just think there's too much of a bus factor with Kyler Murray. There's a lot to like about his game, but there's a lot to be concerned about, and there's a lot of red flags, and there's a lot more unknown when you compare him to Dwayne Haskins. You know, it's funny. I just saw Todd McShay put out his early mock draft, and he has the Cardinals picking number two overall next year. I was like, man, that's not quite an endorsement for Kyler Murray as a rookie uh, looking ahead but to that, next that, year. That's, that's actually one pick later than I have them selecting because I, uh, I have them with the first pick <laughs> of the draft. Wow. 
Uh, talk to Tony Pauline, draftanalyst.com. Uh, I think one of the surprises early in the first round of the draft was the Raiders passing on Josh Allen out of Kentucky and going with Cleveland Farrell. And I think a lot of people were looking at it going, man, that guy was projected back into the first round. But when I went back and looked at your ratings, you were very high on Cleveland Farrell. Had, you know, had him in your top ten available picks. Uh, why were you high on Farrell, whereas others weren't? Well, you're going to have to ask the others. I don't know. But, you know, early <laughs> in the process, I had Cleveland Farrell mocked to the New York Jets with the third pick of the draft. I thought he would have solved the Jets' pass rush issues. And in the weeks leading to the draft, I was redundant to the point of being annoying, where I said that Cleveland Farrell, in my opinion, was the most underrated player in this year's draft. People were manufacturing holes in his game. People were looking for issues that weren't there. I compared him to this year's version of Deron Payne. And if you remember a year ago, people were complaining, Deron Payne's not a pass rusher. He's a two-down defender. I had Deron Payne graded as a top-eight player in the draft. He falls to the middle of round one, has a terrific rookie campaign for the Washington Redskins. I see much of the same with Cleveland Farrell. Cleveland Farrell, if you watch the film, and I say watch the film over the course of three years, he was a terrific player for Clemson. Good pass rusher, got a lot of pressure up the field. If he couldn't get the quarterback, forced the quarterback to move around. Outstanding athlete, had the ability to change direction, get out in space, get out to the flanks, and make plays in open space. Was constantly showed up. You watched the national championship game. Oh, by the way, at times he was dominating Jonah Williams who was the first offensive lineman selected in the draft. I mean, I don't know why people didn't have Cleveland Farrell graded much higher. I always had him graded higher, took a lot of flack for it. Got to tell you, when the Oakland Raiders selected him with the fourth pick of the draft, I jumped out of my chair cheering. And I'm like, well, listen, I, I, I'm not the only lunatic who thinks this way. There are other people who are making decisions who think this way. So I was very happy when they made that selection. Uh, speaking of the national championship game, it feels like, uh, I don't know, was John Gruden and Mike Mayock, was that the only game they watched on film? Because as I looked at their draft picks, Cleveland Farrell from Clemson, Josh Jacobs from Alabama, Trayvon Mullen from Clemson, Hunter Renfro from Clemson. It was like, my gosh, did they watch any other film on any other guys? They took a lot of guys from that, from that game. And you had to know that Mike Mayock at some point in the draft was going to take Hunter Renfro. But you know what? Why not? I, I mean, yeah, I understand you want to go with best player available and, and you want to get good athletes. But I, you know, I, I look at that. I mean, Josh Jacobs was hands down the best running back in this year's draft. I thought they were going to take him at the top of round two. They took him uh, with that second pick in round one because I guess that they thought other teams like maybe the Indianapolis Colts uh, were interested in, in, in Josh Jacobs. Trayvon Mullen, at one point in time, I thought could go late first round. Trayvon uh, Mullen's biggest problem, as far as I was concerned, was he was so good of a cornerback at Clemson, no one threw in his direction. So at times it was very t- difficult to scout him because he rarely saw the ball go his way because they were always throwing it away from him. So I, I-, I thought all those picks were-, were outstanding selections. I mean, you're talking about not only real good players in all of them, but players that have experienced big-game pressure. Uh, and, and, you know, people... I've heard nothing but great things, not only about Cleveland Farrell, but Christian Wilkins, as far as their character, their off-the-field persona, their leadership skills. So, you know, it makes sense. I mean, winners breed winning, so why not? Uh, You know, it fits needs. They got good players, and they got players from teams that have competed for the national championship game in the last three years and have been national champions. One more for you, Tony. Talking with Tony Pauline, draftanalyst.com. has covered uh, covered prospects in the draft for, what, over 30 years. I mean, you've been doing this a really long time. We'll, when we look back on this draft, uh, Tony, 
Was Daniel Jones the worst pick in this draft? I don't think so. I mean, you could say that he was an, he was taken too early. I, I've liked Daniel Jones for three years now. When I watched him as a redshirt freshman, dude, I knew right then and there he had the potential to be a big-time quarterback prospect. Now, he showed good development. I didn't think he really took off the way I hoped he would, but the fact is this. You know, we talked about Dwayne Haskins. Daniel Jones did not have the receivers at his disposal the way Dick Dwayne had as, as to the, ta- the amount of uh, talent that Dwayne Haskins had. He did not have the offensive line blocking for him that Kyler Murray had. I mean, four of Kyler Murray's offensive linemen were selected within the first, what, uh, 125, 130 picks? <laughs> Daniel Jones played on a Duke team that had marginal talent around him, that had one tight end that was, gonna, that was signed as an undrafted free agent. No one from that offense is going to be drafted next year. Yet week in and week out, he had that team competing and you know going to minor bowl games. He's well-coached. He has it going on between the ears. He's a smart quarterback. Uh, he's got, he doesn't have the uh, athletic skills or the arm strength of Haskins or Kyler Murray, but he's got enough arm strength to play at the next level. I thought it was a perfect fit for, the Giant, uh, for the, uh, Daniel Jones and the Giants. If you want to criticize that they took him too early, that maybe they should have traded down uh, from the sixth pick or maybe moved up from the 17th pick to grab him, I think that's a fair criticism. I have no problem with the player himself. On that note, then, who do you think was the worst pick of this draft? Um, you know, I, I hate to say – I'm not going to say the worst pick. I'm going to say the most surprising pick to me was L.J. Collier, where, where the Seattle Seahawks took him late in round one, uh, only because I had heard uh, L.J. Collier getting first-round mention uh, in the beginning of April, but I thought it was just – too crazy to believe. I just kind of dismissed it and didn't follow up on it. And sure enough, he was taken by the Seattle Seahawks, who have known to basically throw some curveballs uh, late in round one and take players that they feel fit their system. But the thing with Collier is, you know, he's a good player. I just wonder if he's physically tapped out, you know, if he's not going to, if he's going to get much bigger, much stronger. But he fits their system. To me, you know, it's sort of like the Pittsburgh Steelers when they took uh, the, the uh, safety the year before in the first round. Uh, Name escapes me right now. Uh, Terrell, of, uh, I forget his name. The, the brother went to the Buffalo Bills, and he just happened to be there because he knew his brother was going to be taken in the first round. They had him up on the stage. I, it's not, I don't know it's a horrible pick. It's just surprising how early they went, and for me that was L.J. Collier this year. Hmm. He is Tony Pauline, draftanalyst.com. All right, I lied. One more question. Five years from now, all these wide receivers that won this draft, five years from now when we look back, who, who will be the best one of this group? You know, it depends on what you what you're thinking is, is best. I like I've always liked AJ Brown of yeah. uh, of Mrs. of Old Miss. I, I thought that, you know, he's not as big or fast as his teammate. He doesn't stretch the field the way Marquis Brown does. He doesn't always make the highlight reel films like Nikhil Harry does. But he's a sharp route runner. He's a consistent pass catcher. He, he's reli- he's got reliable hands. Uh, you know, I I don't think you're going to have any great great receivers from this draft. But I think A.J. Brown's going to do, uh, will be one of the top ones, as I do, I think, J.J. Arcega Whiteside, because not only is he a good receiver, but he's in a great position with the Philadelphia Eagles, uh, the way they develop their players, and he'll have Carson Wentz thrown to him for the next five years. Yeah, I think so. I heard somebody describe A.J. Brown as buying stock. Long term, he's going to be the good option. He's just going to be consistent and give you what you want, whereas D.K. Metcalf was the lottery ticket. If he hits, man, he's going to hit big. But if not... 
Yeah, you're probably not going to hit big with him. So I thought that was an interesting comparison I heard coming into the draft. He is Tony Pauline, draftanalyst.com. You can check out his podcast on the Belief Network. And as he just mentioned, already got a little look ahead to next year up at the website, draftanalyst.com. Tony, can't thank you enough, my friend. Thanks so much for jumping on with us. Thanks for having me. All right, thanks a lot. Tony Pauline, draftanalyst.com. Just mentioned he just put up his 2020 mock draft. He says he hates doing them. But he's got his uh, mock draft up there, and he's got Grant Delpit out of LSU going sixth overall to the Baltimore Ravens. And uh, as as he mentioned, he says comparing Delpit to Jamal Adams, as he has a lot of skills compared to him. But just uh, to take a look ahead, he doesn't have Tua going number one like uh, like Todd McShay does. He's got Chase Young out of Ohio State going number one. And he's got Justin Herbert out of Oregon. A lot of people forget about him. The interesting, I should have asked Tony about him. A lot of people thought. You know, Justin Herbert was going to come out this year, and had he, I think that would have been really intriguing to see, you know, with the Cardinals having the number one pick with Cliff Kingsbury, whether they would have taken Herbert over Kyler Murray or where he would have fell in line. Would Herbert have gone ahead of Daniel Jones? I think so. And ahead of Dwayne Haskins. So that'll be something to watch for next year, and and certainly this season, how it plays out. Look, no offense against Tua. He's tremendous, but... Justin Herbert may have more, you know, just a couple better skill sets suited for the next level. It's gonna, we're going to see what how this season plays out for both Oregon and Alabama. Now, granted, Tua is not playing a real defense outside of LSU this year, so he may not even have to be tested all season. But Herbert, I'll be interested to watch him at Oregon. It's Chris Gordy Show. Quick break here. If you guys want to jump in, 504-260-1280, 260-1280. Back right after this. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.